today on the Ag News Daily Podcast. We are going to be back at the Iowa State Fair this year. Um, last year we won the best new state, state fair food with a turkey taco. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is May 4th. May the 4th be with you. My name is Delaney Howell, and I am one of the hosts for the Agnes Daily Podcast. Joining me is my co-host and sidekick, Mike Pearson. Hey, Delaney Skywalker Howell. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I heard somebody um, making a joke about that earlier, and I think I heard it on the radio, so I thought, eh, well, I'll throw it in today's podcast. You bet. May the 4th. I always forget that's For a all thing those until I log Star on Star Wars nerds. <laughs> Have you seen the uh, three original Star Wars movies, Delaney? Um, I don't really think I have. I okay. think I've maybe seen one of them. I really couldn't tell you anything from any of the movies other than they use lightsabers and they're in space a lot. And there's, I could name a couple of the characters, but I really couldn't tell you what role they played. Okay. So, so no, you haven't. You've heard about them, but you haven't No. Well, and and I, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll be honest, I've only seen the three old ones. I haven't seen any of the new ones. And now I think we're up to like, I don't know, 45 Seven? different Star Wars movies. Oh. You know, Disney oh. bought them, so they're going to milk that for all it's worth. Mm-hmm. That's true. So what is new in your world, Delaney Howell? Well, it's a beautiful day here in central Iowa. I'm enjoying that. Yeah. Yeah, sky's, uh, sun's out, sky's blue. Although we just had some clouds move in here at Grinnell. And oh. It's kind of nice. The sun was, was very hot. Mm. This weekend is the start of the Des Moines Farmer's Market, so I'm really excited to go to that. What are you going to buy? What is on the list of things that I don't know. Uh, you need from the Farmer's Market? I feel like I need everything, but I really don't. Like zucchinis? Are they in season? Um, or... I don't know. I really like sweet corn, but I know that's not even close to being in season. No. Um, I really like some of the baked goods. Like, it seems like there's a there's a vendor that makes really good fresh break fe- little fresh baked bread. Oh. That's that'll probably be on my list. Okay. They just have good food, like you know, for breakfast. I probably won't eat till I get there, and yeah. Okay. All right. How do you think duck eggs will sell at the Des Moines Farmers Market? I, I don't know. I think we should hit, try right? it. I We're do gonna, too. Gonna. That's, okay. That's why I'm building my duck house. I'm painting my duck house today. All right. Ready to. Did you finish it? It is done, except I'm building a roof with a door that opens so I can just lean in and, huh. you know, collect eggs, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and I, I built it yesterday and I built it very poorly. So it's <laughs> done, except for that. Now I'm just painting everything while the sun's out and then I'll finish the roof. Okay, good. Yeah. Can't wait to see it. I'm going to post a picture as soon as it's done, as soon as I get my little ducks out in there and get them out of the basement. My goodness, the stench today, it just gets worse <laughs> and worse and worse. Oh. It's a little pigsty in your basement. It's You know, I, I would be more comfortable with the smell of hogs. It's a very really? uh, acrid, uh, you know, kind of makes mm. your, your nose uh, want to close yeah. up. And the downside is the only shower we have in our house is in the basement right next to <laughs> the ducks. So I went down there to shower. After I went to the gym today, I worked out. And uh, what's that song? A workout. Um, by LMFAO. Yes. Yes. We ought to put that in here now that I'm working out. Anyhow, um, I went down <laughs> to take a shower, and it's like, ugh, ducks. <laughs> you stink. I just, 
<laughs> I just imagine you like the uh, Charlie Brown character Pigpen that has that little <laughs> dust bubble that follows him around. <laughs> yeah, except for me, it's duck odor. Just <laughs> follows around. Oh, goodness. Well, Mike, what do you have going on in the world of news today? Right. We're good to transition into news. You're comfortable? We've had enough chit-chat? I'm allowing it. Yep, Perfect. I'm allowing it. I'm All ready. Right. Well, I like it. I think first thing we ought to talk about is the uh, Federal Reserve met earlier this week, and Janet Yellen came out yesterday, said they will not raise rates this month, but... They do still plan on raising rates in the month of June. The uh, Fed's policymaking arm, the Federal Open Markets Committee, or FOMEC, said that slowing economic growth was likely transitory and expected economic growth to expand at a, quote, moderate pace, and that will evolve in a manner that will warrant gradual increases in the Fed funds rate. So probably in June, we could see another quarter percent hike in interest rates. What, what do you got, Delaney? For all for all interest rates? Well, the Fed funds is sort of, it's the rate at which banks can borrow from the Federal Reserve. Oh, so if okay, they yep. raise it, then typically banks pass that increase mm -hmm. along to their borrowers. Right. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. I follow you now. All right. You smell what I'm stepping in? I smell it. All right. It's gross, but it's I smell it. It's is what it is. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, yesterday, five Democratic senators tried or came out with a bill that would protect undocumented farm workers from deportation under Trump's new administration. They are now proposing to make farm workers eligible for blue cards if they have worked in agriculture for at least 100 days in each of the past two years. And then following the blue cards, if they maintain those for three to five years, depending on the number of hours they've worked, they would then be eligible to adjust to a green card or legal permanent residency. There's a, a lot of controversy in this article that I'm reading. Some questions arise about state-sponsored visas and um, immigration reform, how that will affect this bill, but I guess we'll see how it shakes out. Okay, and that was in the House. Yes. All right. Well, I've got some other news coming out of that. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It was in the Senate. Oh, it was in the Senate. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Democratic senators. Yep. Well, here is some news coming out of the Republican House. The uh, House Financial Services Committee approved a bill today, this morning, to repeal and roll back significant pieces of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. This is something that uh, the GOP has been uh, working on for quite some time. It has been promoted by the... Uh, Oh, gosh. American Bankers Association. Basically, when Dodd-Frank came through, it uh, made lending a lot more stringent, which restricted all banks, but bigger banks, the large, the Wells Fargo's, the U.S. banks, the, you know, you name it, Chase Bank, they were able to have the the staff in place to monitor all of these things for smaller banks, for community banks. This was a major chore. And I was at the uh, ABA meeting last year and they had a panel on what compliance with the Dodd-Frank bill costs banks. And one of the bankers said that their compliance cost alone, hiring new officers to inspect their documents and do all this and such, cost them, it was 34% of their net income uh, before interest was going to compliance. So hopefully this bill will get through. It was a party line vote. Democrats voted against it. Republicans voted for it. 
So we'll see if they can get it passed. But uh, at least they're they're moving forward, making it a little bit easier, it sounds like, on these banks. The provisions will still be coming out into uh, the future. It does keep the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, but restrains it quite a bit. So we'll see. We'll keep up to date on this moves forward. In other news coming out of Washington, I have news regarding NAFTA. Uh, Although the Trump administration hasn't formally began the process of renegotiating NAFTA, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue said that he is confident the renegotiation will be a better deal for farmers and ranchers and a little bit different viewpoint. But Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross stated in an article on AgWeb that NAFTA is an obsolete agreement, and he hopes that uh, parts of the Asian Pacific trade deal, TPP, that President Trump rejected will be the basis for a revamped North American free trade agreement. Hmm. Interesting. Boy, from an ag perspective, with the exception of perhaps dairy, which... Uh, TPP did uh, change a little bit. NAFTA's been awfully good, but I guess we'll just have to wait and hear what they propose in ways it is outmoded and how they'd like to change it, I guess. I know. I want to know, too, or I wonder why he called it an obsolete agreement. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of indication for that in the web web article that I'm reading. Okay. Well, I've got uh, one other piece of news. This is a story we've been tracking for a while. President Trump issued an executive order to examine all of the monuments put into place under the Antiquities Act. And uh, President Obama had two that went in just before he left office, Bears Ears National Monument and uh, another one. Just make it up. (laughs) Just kidding. Don't do that. Yeah, okay. So I guess Bears is the only one that's coming to mind. Uh, You listeners, you'll know the other one I'm talking about, but I forgot. So anyway, with regard to Bears Ears, Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke is going to tour Bears Ears and Staircase, Grand Staircase Escalante, which was a uh, one that President Clinton designated under the Antiquities Act back in 1996. And just to put this in perspective, Bears Ears National Monument is 1.35 million acres, and Zinke is going to tour it on horseback. I don't know how many acres he's actually <laughs> going to get to see on the back of a horse. I I might take a Cessna <laughs> rather than a horse, but, you know, it's his deal, I suppose. Sounds like a pretty good vacation. Um, But anyway, so they're examining those. They might try to roll back or shrink those National Monument designations, which would free up more of that federal ground for grazing, uh, oil drilling, mineral, whatever, and more Mm -hmm. local control. So that's what I got in the news, Delaney Hell. Well, I just want to give one more quick update on our uh, journey tomorrow to see Secretary Perdue before we get to the markets. We... We're in contact with a few people in the press office in D.C., and they said that there won't be time for one-on-one interviews, but we will hopefully at least get some sound bites from Secretary Perdue's speech, which I believe is the first speech he will give since he has been confirmed um, regarding policy. 
So maybe we'll have some breaking news on the podcast tomorrow. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. And if nothing else, Secretary Bill Nor, the Iowa's agriculture secretary, has agreed to give us a few sound bites. If nothing else works out, I guess. You bet. And it's always good to talk to Secretary Norvey, and maybe we can get some insight on whether or not he'll be headed to D.C. That's what I was just thinking. Perfect. Well, Mike, why don't you read us today's closing market prices? You know, I I would, Delaney, but uh, folks may just want to go ahead and mute the speakers for a second. (laughs) There's not a lot of good news anywhere in the markets today, with the exception of lean hogs. But let's start in the corn pit. May corn closed the day down eight and a quarter cents, finished at three fifty-eight even. December corn down seven and three quarters, closed at three eighty-four and a half. Soybeans, the May contract down a quarter penny, closed at nine sixty-five and a quarter. November beans dropped five and a quarter, finished the day at nine sixty-four and three quarters. Looking down at wheat, the Chicago wheat contract in May dropped seventeen cents on the day, finished at four twenty-six. December contract down fifteen cents, closed at four. 73 even. Kansas City wheat, the wheat that was most affected by that blizzard, the May contract has given back most of this week's gains. It dropped 18 cents today, closed at 4.32 and a half. Looking over at livestock, we've got a mixed bag here. June live cattle continue to climb. We're continuing to chase that uh, cash price being offered in the countryside. June cattle up a dollar 25, closed at 131.30. The August contract up 37 and a half cents, closed at 124.17 and a half. All the rest of the contracts, October through February, dropped half a cent to, uh, dropped, excuse me, 50 cents, almost all the way to a dollar. Feeder cattle, ho ho, almost got to say the exact opposite of my favorite phrase. The May contract dropped $5.25, closed at 148.27.5. The August contract dropped 217.5, closed at 157.92.5. Boy. Lean hogs, the May contract rose a dollar five, closed at sixty-nine even. June contract up ninety-two and a half cents, finished at seventy-six forty-seven and a half. Over in milk, we do have a little bit of green on the milk screen. June contract up twenty-three cents, closed the day at fifteen sixty-four. There we go, Delaney Howell. What is the opposite? Limit down? Limit down. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's not quite as fun to say, is it? Not if you're a producer. It's fun if you're a, a feedlot operator and you're buying calves at limit down then it's then it's a winning deal but i'm out there looking at my little my little babies and i'm going hey you guys need to pay some bills <laughs> limit up just comes right off the tongue a lot easier, limit up though. limit up limit up it's the most fun thing to say in the world it's what i'm going to name my boat <laughs> oh goodness well mike why don't you tell us who we have on today's podcast You bet. So today's podcast is going to be interesting. We're going to continue talking protein, but we're going a different track. One of the markets I did not read because it does not have a futures contract is turkey. But turkey is one of the most consumed meat in this country. Anybody who's been to Subway can tell you that they love a a turkey sandwich over there. So we will be talking to Greta Irwin. She is the executive director of the Iowa Turkey Federation, longtime promoter of turkey consumption, and she She serves turkey every year at the Iowa State Fair, and we will uh, talk with her a little bit about all of that and where turkey sits in this country and in the state of Iowa. So with that, Delaney, should we turn it over to her? Let's do it. All right, folks, today we are joined by Greta Irwin. She's the uh, executive director of the Iowa Turkey Federation, and Greta cooks up some mean turkey tenders at the Iowa State Fair. Greta, how you doing? I am doing great. Thank you, Mike. 
You going to be back at the State Fair this year? We are going to be back at the Iowa State Fair this year. Um, last year we won the Best New State Fair Food with a turkey taco. We took turkey breast meat that was shredded and cooked, seasoned that with taco seasoning, put that in a freshly, freshly fried tortilla shell, top that with a veggie slaw, and then a sweet mango salsa, and it went over wonderfully at the State Fair. And this next year, I think we might be coming out with another new food item. So trying to keep those consumers uh, on their toes and show them how many great different ways you can serve turkey. That's the truth. There's a lot of flavor there you can bring out with, with other additions, and it's a healthy, healthy treat. It sure is. So it's a great industry to be a part of. Well, now, Greta, we talked before the conversation, but I just want to have you uh, reiterate that. So Iowa isn't the isn't really in even the top five as far as production for turkey goes, but we do a lot of processing. Will you explain uh, how we kind of fit into that puzzle? Well, definitely. Um, turkey's number one input cost in raising a bird is feed. So corn and soybeans is the majority of a turkey's diet. So if you think about where the majority of corn and soybeans are raised, it's in the Midwestern part of the United States. So we see Minnesota's number one in turkey production, Missouri number five, Iowa comes in at number eight, and then Iowa is bringing in turkeys to process because we're number two in the U.S. in turkey processing. So we bring in turkeys from Nebraska, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Missouri to help fill that processing capacity in Iowa. Is there a reason why Iowa is so popular for processing besides just having the facilities to do it? The facilities are really key, Delaney, and I think that a lot of that just goes back to that history. Uh, West Liberty Foods in West Liberty, Iowa, has been there for a number of years. That goes back to the Lewis Rich Company and their startings of the further processing of turkey. And so we can trace that history back to when the West Liberty facility was the first one to make a turkey ham, and we got sued by the national pork producers um, mm. for using that wording. But that came from West Liberty, Iowa. In Storm Lake, we've had a processing plan up there as well for many, many years, and that history has just continued to build in those communities. Well, now, Greta, I want to ask you, when we talk about the history of turkey production, particularly in the state of Iowa and in Minnesota, 2015 is a year that will be remembered in that history for quite some time due to the highly pathogenic avian influenza, the, the bird flu, as it was noted in the media, that swept through. Talk about how that affected our, uh, our industry here and nationwide. Well, 2015 um, was probably one of the roughest years in my career working for the turkey farmers, and I've been here for 22 years. That year, um, we saw how, as an industry, we had to come together, we had to work together and help support each other, because when I saw 25% of my turkey farmers losing their birds, um, losing that production and losing that income, it was physically and emotionally hard on all of us in our industry. And so rebounding from 2015 and looking back at those lessons that we learned, our industry, I think, is now stronger and healthier um, because of that. And a lot of our other ag friends as well have, I think, learned from our experience. So the conversations I've had with the, the pork producers and the cattlemen and the dairy folks, um, they just realized that 
everyone's got to be top of game and everyone has to be prepared for some sort of disaster like this in our future. How much time did you spend, I guess, working with farms to curb this or um, present the best foot forward? And how much time was spent working or dealing directly with consumers during that influenza outbreak? Well, during the high-path AI outbreak, consumers and the media responded very positively and correctly with the information that our food supply was not in danger because of this virus. And so from that standpoint, I did not have to spend much time talking to consumers and reassuring them that eating turkey was still a safe and good option for them. Because as devastating as it was here in Iowa and Minnesota, we were regionalized. And so the rest of the turkey markets continued to be very strong and producing products. So as devastating as it was here nationally, it, it became a smaller slice of our national production. So most of my time was spent being a mediator between the Department of Agriculture here in Iowa, the USDA, and the farmers, trying to help solve problems as they came up and just get people to the table to come up with solutions of how we proceed next from this. Because this is the first time anything like this had happened um, to this extent in the United States. And so a lot of us were learning, the USDA, the Departments of Agriculture, were all learning as we went through this process. What about export bans? I know we have seen that in the chicken industry, but I didn't know if it was the same for the turkey industry as well. Were there any countries that said we don't want to import Iowa or U.S. turkey during that time? There were quite a few countries that did that, Delaney, and, and I'm not equipped to kind of re- like list all of those off. Oh, no, 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 that's fine. But, but a number of countries did do that. And so that what we saw from that is um, some countries, even like China, have had a long period to lift their import bans for turkey and other poultry products. And so as exports continue to be a big part of our industry, like a lot of our livestock friends, um, we need to make sure we have really good trade policies out there because our exports are going to Mexico, the Middle East, um, South Africa, into Europe, into um, the Asian countries as well. And most of those exports that we send out are dark meat products. So if you think about the, the turkey in, in our carcass of what we have to sell, we have the white meat products, which is what Americans typically prefer in their deli meats and and in their cuts that they like to enjoy in the kitchen, whether it's a turkey tenderloin or turkey breast meat. And a lot of our export customers like the dark meat. So it's a really important balance to that healthy economy for our turkey processors. Well, and Greta, you set us up there for the next question. Two years ago, we had HPAI. We've since seen the industry rebound. What is the state of the turkey industry today? Are you guys growing? Are you continual? Are you still looking for more producers? How do things sit in 2017? Well, really, as we sit right now in 2017, the industry has rebounded. Our production is, is back up to where it had been um, post-2015. So the state of the industry is really pretty good. We have a good supply, a healthy demand for our products. Um, the National Turkey Federation currently has a turkey demand team that is working to influence the influencers to help educate people of how to utilize turkey more in their diets. We've kind of set a goal of, of 20 pounds 
by 2020, and right now we're at 18 pounds per person is the average in the United States. And so if we meet that goal, um, we would definitely need more turkey in the United States to being produced. So it's a good position to be in, and I think as new products are coming out and consumers are looking for healthy alternatives and, and new ways to incorporate new, food, new foods into their diet, Turkey is going to be positioned really well for that movement. Now, you mentioned influence the influencers. Is that something similar to what the pork and beef industries have done when they did the eat beef slogan or the pork, the other uh, healthy red meat? Does the Turkey Federation have any slogan or anything like that that they're working on to try to gain consumers to eat more turkey? Well, we do not have the dollars um, since we do not have a national checkoff to do national campaign, campaigns to that same level. So where we have targeted our dollars is to talk to the dietitians, to talk to the chefs, to talk to the folks that are in restaurants deciding what goes on the menus. That is where we're targeting to work with those individuals to encourage them to come up with exciting and new ways to offer turkey to consumers so that that trend can build from there. I've got kind of a basic question for you. Most turkeys produced in the country, are they contract grown? What's the market look like if I want to raise turkeys and sell them? Yes, um, most turkeys that are raised in the United States are under some level of contracting. Okay. And that's simply due just to the volume of dollars that are involved with raising a commercial turkey farm. Um, most bankers are going to require some sort of backing and assurance of payment. But our industry also is structured to where we need to know what's going to come into the processing plant, we know what we're going to be selling, and that that whole system needs to work. So in our benefit, we can trace a product all the way back to the hatchery and know exactly where everything has come during that whole production and processing of, a, of an end product. Now, Mike, are you asking because you're considering raising turkeys now? Well, you know, I'm always looking for a way to make a buck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I actually, that, that did make me think of another question. We've seen, well, with the influencing the influencers, the turkey industry getting out there trying to talk to dietitians. I wonder what's coming back the other way. What are you guys hearing from consumers as to how they want turkey production to change? You know, we've gone to the cage-free eggs. We're antibiotic-free and beef and dairy. And what's pressing on the turkey industry today? Um, you know, some of those same issues. Um, turkeys are, of course, not raised in cages. They're just raised in large open barns um, on the floor. Um, so they're free to roam from end to end in those barns. Um, so that has not been as much of the pressure as the antibiotic-free is what a lot of the discussion that's going on amongst my industry and my farmers and how do we meet that changing trends in consumer demands. And so antibiotic-free is really probably the biggest issue that we're looking at right now facing what consumers are wanting. And is that pretty pretty easy to obtain in turkey production, or are you looking at a pretty sizable uh, loss going to antibiotic-free? Um, currently, the, with what tools we have to keep turkeys healthy, we see a, an increase in deaths if we go antibiotic-free, but we're working with a number of alternative products, and these alternative products 
are kind of an exciting area, I think, to just look into, whether it's using essential oils into the feed for the turkeys. And those sometimes are, are derivatives of like thyme and cinnamon and oregano, which I'm a home economist. So to say that we're feeding these types of oils and ingredients to the turkeys to help increase their gut health and, and make them healthier, I find this absolutely fascinating. But that's the types of products that we're seeing utilized currently to overcome that loss of the antibiotics. Okay. Greta, what, or I guess, are there any big things that you hope to get in the 2018 Farm Bill for the turkey industry? Well, as we look into the Farm Bill and obviously the trials and tribulations that our industry has been through, we did see a need in 2015 for more boots in the ground and that early detection and rapid response to diseases. And so we are working with a coalition of the other livestock groups in Washington, D.C. on this issue because, again, it's just not a turkey issue. It's all livestock produced in the United States. And we feel there's really a, that need to have some more funding to put those boots in the ground to have good detections and rapid response because that is the area that we all needed to get better on. And our industry, I think, has responded to and on the farm. Our farmers are better prepared. And through the government agencies and the companies, we're better prepared for that. So that's one area that we're definitely going to be looking into. All right. Well, as the farm bill moves forward, Greta, we will have another conversation with you because there is so much to the turkey business that we didn't even really get to scratch the surface. You know, we can talk environment. We can talk water quality. There's so many things. But uh, I think this will uh, give us enough to ponder on for now. And I just really want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Well, I'm happy to do that. Thanks again to Greta for talking turkey with us today. It made me hungry, and I might have to go home and fry me up some turkey tenderloins. Ooh, good idea. Good idea. Hmm. Yesterday I had pork, so I think tonight I'll have turkey. Perfect. That's Wrapped the way in to bacon, go. though. There you go. That's the <laughs> way to do it. A little gobble, gobble, oink, oink right there. Really, the, the best way to do it is just com to combine all proteins together and have a meat smorgasbord. Well, are you familiar with the turducken? Yes. The chicken uh, stuffed yes. in a duck stuffed in a turkey? Yes. There was a guy, I saw this on the internet, Delaney, so it's got to be true. There was a guy <laughs> who stuffed, and I might get it wrong if any listeners have seen the article, forward it to us, but I believe he stuffed a goat inside a pig inside a cow. Wow. Yeah, and it had a really cool name for it, but I, I forget what it was. Goat, I'm not a big goat meat person. Pig steer. That's not very Maybe creative. Maybe it was a sheep. Maybe it was a lamb. That's what it was. It was a lamb inside a pig inside a steer. Huh, and he roasted it on a big spit, spun it over a fire. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. We should try something like that. I think we should. I think that would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, you get the bacon, you know, right there mixed in with everything else. Delaney, right. what do we have going on? Well, of course, tomorrow is our big day with uh, Secretary Sonny Perdue. What do we have going on next week? Next week, we're almost all booked for the week again. I think Monday we are going to be talking markets because we've decided now we should just dedicate Mondays to the markets. Tuesday, we are going to be talking biomass. There is a company um, 
headquartered in uh, southeastern or northeastern, excuse me, northeastern United States that does pellets, which is another form of biomass. And so we're going to be talking that Wednesday. I think we're talking to the National Pork Producers Council Thursday. I um, I don't remember what we're doing Thursday. And Friday, we're going to be talking electronic logging books. So we've got almost a full week planned. Perfect. That's the way we do it here. That's professionalism, ladies and gentlemen. That's our middle Mm -hmm. name. And uh, in the meantime, it's funny. It's funny how um, when it's my turn to pick interviews, I have all of them lined up. And then when it's your turn, we're waiting until the last second. Just saying. Just throwing out that out there, Mike. Well, then it sounds like you ought to plan them out forever, Delaney. You just nominated yourself <laughs> oh, as producer. I, great. I love it. All right, folks. So with that, I would encourage all of you to tune in to us, download us, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get podcasts. Be sure to log on, rate and review us, and uh, follow us on Facebook at Ag News Daily or on Twitter. You can also find us at Ag News Daily, and our website is getting closer and closer, so stay tuned. That is in the works. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.